Welcome to another edition of the New Hampshire Journal podcast. I am Michael Graham with New Hampshire Journal. Thanks so much for tuning in, for sharing this with your friends. Of course, we are on Twitter at New Hamp Journal. We're on Facebook at NH Journal, and I hope you're getting our newsletter. Uh, just go to nhjournal.com. You can sign up on the right-hand side. We are supposed to be on summer schedule, but most of the summer we haven't been able to do just three days a week. We've had to do at least four because so much breaking news, and that's certainly going to be the case with this uh, as we talk to former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, who's in New Hampshire on Tuesday to talk about school choice and celebrate the Education Freedom Accounts uh uh, legislation that really put New Hampshire on the front row of the school choice movement. But let's also face it, he's here because he's thinking about running for president of the United States. Not that he told me that, but that is the assumption. But the reason why it's important to talk to him is, is of course, events in Afghanistan. And I'll let you hear what he has to say and his explanation, et cetera. That's all coming up here on the podcast I just want to talk about one thing about New Hampshire politics that's puzzling me. And maybe you'll have an answer. You can email your answer to newsnhj at insidesources.com. Or you can uh, post it up on on Twitter for us. But this is what I'm trying to figure out. So by the time you hear this, if you listen to it on Tuesday sometime or even Wednesday or Thursday of this week, it may be Labor Day weekend you're catching up on podcasts. You could argue, wow, the Afghanistan thing is over. You know, the window closed, the August 31st deadline, whether you think like a majority of people that it was wildly foolish and a terrible mistake for President Biden to seize this arbitrary deadline and follow through. Hey, it's done. August 31st, the last plane took off. Bye bye. We're out of here. And, you know, Americans don't really care about foreign policy. And therefore, this will all be forgotten. Most Americans wanted the troops to come home. You know, in the big picture, and this is what uh, the Biden supporters, including some here in New Hampshire, have told NH Journal, look, this, you know, people want the troops home. Six months from now, all they are going to remember is that the troops are home. Really? I don't claim to be the smartest person about politics or anything else. I used to run campaigns, but not at the, you know, super national level or anything. I'm just a political fan, a political junkie. I look at the politics the same way that sports fans look at sports. And I'm always confused when teams pull plays that don't seem to make any sense. You could argue that Joe Biden's decision to set this arbitrary deadline and force everything else in that box, that was a dumb play. It certainly has hurt him in the short term. When your poll numbers go down by more than 10 points in a single month, when your net uh, positive negative swings by 11 points in New Hampshire, a state where, let's face it, Biden is kind is supposedly the kind of you know, centrist Democrat that hits the sweet spot in the Granite State, when he drops by uh, swings 11 points here, that's a sign that something's wrong. When the right track, wrong track numbers veer wildly in a short period, that shows something wrong. So I think it's safe to say, regardless of what you think of the policy as uh, effective or not, politically speaking, it moved him backwards. But I'm even more confused by this idea that it all ended when the last American plane took off. Once again, depending on when you're listening to this, you may already be seeing stories about Americans left behind, desperate to get out, Americans who are stopped trying to get out, hurt by the Taliban or by uh, the Al-Qaeda allies or the ISIS folks who are roaming around, whatever. The, The notion that the Biden political strategy is to just leave on August 31st knowingly leave behind Americans and permanent residents 
and then counting on the good graces of the Taliban until November 2022, that seems like an incredible political gamble to me. It's much more likely that bad things are going to happen to Americans, not to mention how Americans are going to react when the bad thing that, things that start happening to girls who are attending school. Remember how you, you remember how horrific the Taliban were before. I mean, these are, you know, acid in the face jerks. And so there are going to be horrible story after horrible story coming out of Afghanistan. It's hard to think of a good story to come out once you've botched the exit. I mean, the good was the exit. It's kind of like the big finish. Ta-da! You know. So once you blow that, everything it's hard to see where the you know some good hey, because we weren't in Afghanistan, something good happened. It's a lot easier to see stories that because you weren't in Afghanistan, something bad happened. Which brings me back to my central question about Democrats for 2022. What are they thinking? I, notice I'm not arguing about the policy, like what, what's the, how can they support whatever, you know, uh, free college tuition. I, maybe supporting college tuition is a good thing. Maybe it's a bad thing. But I look at the $3.5 trillion spending package full of all sorts of programs, which regardless of your political views, you have to acknowledge there are going to be voters who react negatively towards them. For example, the issue of whether there should be student loan forgiveness. Since the vast majority of people paid their own student loans or they paid their children's student loans or both, giving away free money to people who aren't doing that, there are a lot of Americans who don't like that. The uh, rent eviction moratorium is another good example. I know that uh, watching the politics the past two weeks when the Supreme Court ruled as it pretty much had to. It didn't have a lot of choice. The CDC doesn't have the power to simply declare, that's it, rent's over. You know, And so you had six members of the Supreme Court who ruled on the law and then three who just said, wouldn't it be nice if we could just pretend rent's not here? You know, when Joe Biden even said, yeah, this is probably illegal. Yeah, guess what? It was probably illegal. That, once again, that's not the part that interests me as much as what is the political strategy for a party to say we are the side that says... When unemployment in New Hampshire is below 3%, when businesses are begging for workers, we think that moms and pops who own a couple of, you know, rooms that they rent out in a triple decker or have a couple of investment properties they were counting off for retirement, they should continue to not get paid their rent because the people who live there aren't getting the jobs that are going begging and aren't, you know, doing what 90 nine, 98, 95% of the rest of America is doing, which is paying their rent. I don't see the path forward for these strategies, you know, count on Afghanistan to be forgotten. It's going to be harder to forget as bad news comes out. Count on Americans to just really be glad we spent a bunch of money with inflation rising, with unemployment below 3% New Hampshire being the pro spending people, I keep trying to put these pieces together. Now, I Robert Shrum is a smart guy, a national democratic strategist, ran I think eight presidential campaigns. He assures me he says this non this the notion that Biden is suffering from this is nonsense. People are happy with Biden. It's all about the economy and COVID. Well, I see a lot of ways that COVID's not going well. Separate from however you feel about masks, non-masks, the vaccine and not vaccine. And just let me get on the record since this is important. Get your damn shot. If you haven't got a shot, you're an idiot. Masks. Well, the reason I got a shot is so I wouldn't have to worry about the mask. So that's where I am. Whatever. 
the interesting part from a political standpoint to me is by allowing uh, Anthony Fauci and the CDC director, I forget her name, I apologize, to kind of go out and, you know, almost every day, new yes mask, no mask, yes shot, no triple shot, nine shots, nine shots. The Biden advantage on COVID has been blown. And it's been blown for the, you know, lamest of reasons, just inability to control the message. I mean, if ever you needed a, you know, czar, it is the COVID czar. But Biden didn't do that, and Biden is contradicting himself. And so, you know, one day Biden's get your shot, you won't need a mask. The next day, he's showing up at a press conference, ninety feet from the nearest person, wearing two masks, with um, you know, uh, Vice President Kamala Harris behind him, looking like you know, Bane from The Dark Knight Rises. I, so the so Biden has lost the COVID narrative for the moment. Uh, the inflation issue is you know hurting on the economy issue for the moment. And uh, it's hard to see how the decisions that are being made today, voting for you know, this massive, it's going to net, it's going to be a net of six trillion dollars in total spending. Normal people just, I, th- I think, are just uncomfortable with that. And then you start pulling. You know what the Republicans are going to do? They're going to start pulling stuff out. Hey, look what they voted for. It's like uh, uh, the voter ID part of of uh, the HR uh, one. You know, the the For the People Act, We the People, whatever it is. You know, just you just grab the stuff that makes people go what, and and that looks like the future to me. And I keep asking myself again. So what are the Democrats doing that are telling these people who aren't? part of the kind of the AOC, you know, Ilhan Omar into the party. What are they doing? They're saying to them, look, we're with you. We're with normal people. That's why I wonder about the $3.5 trillion spending plan. We've already written at NH Journal that uh, Chris Pappas is almost certain not to run for re-election. It has something to do with redistricting, but also has something to do with the mood of 2022 and also the likelihood that uh, Governor Sununu may not be running for re-election. And so the governor's race, the Democratic primary will be very, very interesting. There are a bunch of reasons. But if Senator Maggie Hassan really votes to spend $3.5 trillion on social programs, including, quote, free community college for all and huge tax hikes and whatever, I, once again, separate from what is the right policy, I, I'll just be wondering if she's serious about running for re-election. Because you'll be giving so much ammo to Republicans as opposed to what Senator Hassan or Senator Shaheen or really any other senator could do, which is to stand up and say, look, I'm going to be the person who stops the crazy. You know, if I were you know running a campaign in New Hampshire, knowing that 2022 is going to be a tough year for Democrats for all sorts of historic reasons, I would embrace the opportunity to be the Joe Manchin of New England of being the, I, I certainly support social spending and we need some more and blah, blah, blah. And I love infrastructure, but we're not doing $3.5 trillion. Why isn't Senator Hassan that person? And based on her voting record thus far and also her public statements, it appears she's going to support this spending package. And I don't, I don't understand the political calculus. Maybe she earnestly believes that Spending $6 trillion in a red-hot economy with you know jobs going unfilled is really the smart thing to do. Maybe she honestly believes that, that we should fundamentally change the relationship between parents and the government by saying the government is in charge of raising and providing child care for children. It's not the job of parents to do that. It's the job of the government to do that, and parents are... I mean, maybe these things are things she believes in. I, I, 
I, I don't know because she won't respond to requests for interview from New Hampshire Journal. But politically speaking, makes no sense. That's all I'm saying. You know what else doesn't make sense? Going to any dentist in New Hampshire other than Dr. Bruce Houghton at PerfectSmiles.com. Dr. Bruce is the best. He's been my dentist for years and I cannot recommend him highly enough. And I was so impressed back during the dark COVID days, the great job that his crew did of providing excellent care with all sorts of very smart restrictions, but they found ways to do it. They used new tech so that you could go in, get your your dental care that you need and stay completely safe. And so I figure if this guy can do great dental work in the middle of a COVID pandemic, Imagine what you can do in normal times. He's just absolutely terrific. And particularly if you've been thinking about getting a new smile. In fact, if you've been thinking about having a perfect smile, why would you go anywhere else but perfectsmiles.com and tell them Michael Graham sent you. Now let's talk to former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo on the New Hampshire Journal podcast. Welcome to the New Hampshire Journal podcast, uh, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. We speak on an inauspicious moment. It's the uh, Monday morning as the uh, events in Kabul are, are rolling out tomorrow. This time, the final uh, troop withdrawals will have begun. But it's interesting, um, Mr. Secretary, if I can say, first of all, I, I should mention that you're from Kansas, so we'll all talk slower. And <laughs> second, <laughs> I went to college in Oklahoma. I'm sorry I had to say that. And, and secondly, it is amazing how... Often I Google your name and the phrase weight loss pops up immediately prompted by people saying he must be running for president, which of course is our top topic of conversation in New Hampshire under normal circumstances. But as I mentioned, this is not normal circumstances. So before we uh, get to the lighter topic of just gut cutthroat politics in, uh, in, in, you know, in America, your view on where we are 24 hours or so before the official withdrawal on president Biden's timeline from Kabul. I must say, to, to watch the events of these past two weeks in Afghanistan have been incredibly disheartening. It's sad. Uh, it didn't have to be this way. We, we could have planned, we could have gotten all the Americans out. It appears we're not going to be successful at doing that by the president's decision to have a hard stop deadline of August 31st. So, goodness, what, 36 hours from now? Uh, this, is, this is something that's inconsistent with the American tradition. I pray that we have a mechanism to get them out even after the 31st. Then, of course, watching yesterday as these 13 amazing patriots who came back to Dover Air Force Base, the remains came back to Dover Air Force Base yesterday. Always one of the saddest moments. These were patriots fighting, doing amazing work on behalf of the United States, and I want to let every one of their family members know that I know America, every American is praying for them. I, you know, nobody can tell what's going on actually on the ground. We have reports, but even the media outlets admit that, you know, you're reporting off of reporting. But if it's true that the students at American University of Afghanistan are being left behind, were being left behind, I'm trying to put this into the context of how Americans view what it means to be an American, where you think that if you hold up that blue passport, that it matters, at least it should matter to your American government. Do you is it conceivable that the Biden administration will knowingly leave American citizens behind? And what should the response of typical Americans in New Hampshire and across the country be to that? Well, it appears that's what they're they're likely to do. <clears throat> it looks like not only uh, the reporting on the American students at the, American, at the university there in Afghanistan, but it looks like there's other Americans too that won't be able to have made it onto a, a U.S. effort to get them out of their country. 
the execution of this departure from Afghanistan has true, truly proven to be a debacle. Certainly the, the loss of 13 lives, but there's many still injured as well. Just the fact that there was a commitment to a hard stop date while Americans were still on the other side, something that we've not seen before. I, I hope and pray that there's a plan to continue to give them a way to exfil to get them back out of the country. I've not seen evidence of that yet, but I'm, I'm very hopeful that this won't be among the first times in American history where we knowingly left Americans to the hands of people that we know, folks like the Taliban that we know are but I, I've heard uh, members of the uh, Biden administration say we don't understand why Secretary Pompeo and President Trump are criticizing the Taliban. They sat down with them. President Trump wanted to have them at Camp David, that uh, if you can sit down and make a deal with them for, you know, to end the war, then why can't Team Biden sit down and make a deal with them to guard Kabul and to provide security? Well, we, we did sit down with them and we, we did that. We laid down the law. We made clear to them that these are our expectations. We signed a document reflecting those expectations. When they failed to live up to those commitments, we punished them. This is the difference. This is the difference between American leadership and American weakness. When the Taliban didn't live up to the commitments they'd made to President Trump, we imposed real costs on them, military costs, monetary costs to the Afghan government. Don't forget, we were negotiating with the Hazaris, the uh, the Northern Alliance, every every Afghan group, we were trying to bring a more peaceful situation to Afghanistan. That's a, a noble undertaking. I'm very proud of the work we did to try and deliver. It was a years-long process, we knew for sure. But we had secondary mission. Secondary mission was to get our kids home, and we did. We went from 15,000 to 8,600. We paused. We went to 45 or 4,800. We took another moment to make sure we had the conditions right. This is the failure of the Biden administration. It's not the Trump deal. It's the Biden failure. Uh, they, they, they didn't understand that you, you, can't, you can't do this in a disorderly way. The conditions on the ground must be right before you can pull the, uh, pull the final set of our soldiers out. President Trump desperately wanted to get everyone out of there just as quickly as we could. And we delivered. We didn't get all the way home because we didn't get the conditions right. We knew that the risk of what you're seeing today was real. And we protected against that. We didn't have a single American attack. February of 2020, the date that we signed the agreement with the Taliban, we didn't have a single American attack, not a single American killed during that entire time. It wasn't because of the piece of paper. It was because of the deterrence model. In fact, the President Trump and I had made clear to the Taliban that touch an American, you'll pay. One last question on this, and it's the broader public policy question that might you know, be involved in, say, oh, I don't know, being president of the United States one day, just to randomly pick an, an office, you know, off the top of my head. Uh, there's been a ongoing debate about Afghanistan being, quote, the good war, Iraq being the bad war, et cetera. Um, I would make the argument that if Afghanistan was the bad war, it was a dumb war. No one cares about Afghanistan. It's, a, it's, it's the backwater portions of backwater countries that even the backwaters don't want. Who cares what they do? Rubble don't cause no trouble was the right strategy go in, blow up the Taliban, kill the bad guys, and then just keep going back every six months and killing bad guys as needed. Whereas Iraq was the smart war because it was a relatively modern country in the heart of the Middle East. Having a South Korea or Japan, Germany, post-World War II style presence there 
saying up front, this is going to be 20, 30, 40 years of working with these governments, of helping them you know, make their way towards modernity, made sense because of all the pressure it put on Iran, on Saudi Arabia, the, the ears it gave you in the region. I mean, think about how th different things would be with Iran right now if we had you know, 10,000 guys and you know, backing up a government on their border. Uh, what's, what would a President Pompeo's view be of the use of military force? Just rubble don't cause no trouble, long-term investment to try to transform a region, none of the above. Yes, we've seen that the effort to build nations in the Middle East is doomed to fail. There'll be enormous cost and very little benefit for the United States of America. But we've also seen that an effective counterterrorism policy can be delivered even with relatively small military troop commitments. Uh, there are lots of ways to impose costs on bad guys without parking 10 or 20 or 40,000 American kids in harm's way for decades and decades. You know, the, the model that America should choose is the counterterrorism model that the Trump administration had. The caliphate was running wild. People forget when we came into office, we, you know, President Biden talks about us handing him a piece of paper. Uh, Obama and Biden handed us uh, people's heads being cut off and people being burned in cages in Syria. We, we confronted this in a way that said, we're gonna use American military power, we're gonna build our friends and allies, we're gonna go crush the caliphate, and we did. When Iran was threatening, we tore up the silly nuclear deal. Qasem Soleimani, the Iranian general, was trying to kill Americans, we crushed him. This is the kind of use of American power to establish deterrence, to, to prevent terrorists from attacking the United States through good intelligence and then judicious but vicious use of American power. When we get that right, Americans are more safe at home. That, that's the model that I believe America should adopt. We know how to execute that, and we were well on our way to doing it for after our, our term expired in January 20th of last year. Well, Secretary Pompeo, you're certainly welcome to be wrong on one major issue, so I'll let you have that one. But uh, I do want to mention that you're going to be in Concord, New Hampshire. You're wrong about Kansans, too. Oh, no, I, I like Kansas. <laughs> Kansas is, is absolutely fine. We, we love Oklahomans as well. Well, we don't like you. So no, I'm kidding. I, I just went to college there. But I, 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 uh, I when I did stand up, I used to do stand up comedy for a living back in the day. And I traveled across Kansas many times, had a terrific time. Everyone was always in, in a great mood, desperate to laugh because what else are you going to do besides stare at corn all day? So you got that. But I, I know I, we got to get a plug in for your appearance here in New Hampshire uh, in Concord on Tuesday, August 31st. You'll be with former Secretary of Education Betsy DeVos talking about school choice. And I want to mention that New Hampshire just passed the educational freedom accounts, our first across the board school choice program other than a income cap anyone is uh, uh, eligible to participate and i want to ask you about a common criticism of the notion of choice which is where is the accountability you have a public school then you've got a you know school board and regulations you have a you know choice program whether it's online or private school or you know some form of homeschool or pods where's the accountability so i ask you secretary pompeo when it comes to school choice where is the accountability right where it should be it's with the parents. It's with the people. Oh, no, no, no. Don't you understand? We learned during COVID, nobody <laughs> likes parents. The parents are lousy. Everybody hates them. They should just sit down and shut up. Here's your, your uh, critical race theory. Now eat your breakfast and go home. Yes. Uh, look, this, the central institution of America, the family, right? The, the thing that our, uh, our founders knew, uh, we needed strong families in the United States. The, the, in the end, uh, parents, community, those, those are the people who know how to deliver what children need. And it'll be different in different situations. Children have different ways they think about processing information and learning. We've, we know that. 
and it is the parents who have the capacity to understand what their students truly need. I, you know, I saw this from another perspective for the last four years. I, I, as I traveled the world, um, I wasn't working on education here at home like I'd been when I was a member of Congress and, and even before that when I ran a manufacturing company. But I watched, I watched uh, countries try to undermine American institutions and America's school system and American families. And so I'm excited to be in New Hampshire tomorrow to talk about the central ideas of educational freedom. I'm glad New Hampshire passed its law. It's a really good step in the right direction uh, to deliver good education that fits the students and will deliver the next generation of American leaders in the way that will respect America's history and its founding. I don't know. I, the public school system where if I'm a lousy dad, I just get to sit in a rubber room and get paid all day to play cards. That seems pretty, you don't get that with homeschooling, Secretary Pompeo. You know, <laughs> no one does that for you there. We got to, we got to spread that system around. Thank you so much for joining us here on the New Hampshire Journal podcast. Look forward Thank to seeing you, you in Concord. So long, sir. Thanks again to Secretary of State Pompeo. And thank you for listening to the New Hampshire Journal podcast. Please support New Hampshire Journal. You can start by following us on Twitter, New Hampshire Journal, on Facebook, NH Journal, and of course, by getting our daily newsletter. And if you are getting the newsletter, please do us a huge favor and forward it to all of your fellow political junkies here in New Hampshire and elsewhere. We really appreciate it. Thanks again for listening. I am Michael Graham for the New Hampshire Journal. 